and Ed. Hello, I'm Sean. And I'm Chris. And welcome to the Lack of Focus podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to something a little bit different for our Lack of Focus this week. We're going to do our In Focus movie review. So I'm going to be the host, Chris, this time. Joined by Ed. How are you, Ed? I'm good. I'm fantastic. How are you, sir? Good. Better than Sean, who's still (laughs) in recovery from COVID. But other than that, Sean, how are you? As good as I can be at the moment. Hopefully I won't cough in everybody's ear the whole night. Yeah, well, I'll uh, I'll make sure I cut off any uh, any tops of the coughs and don't blow anyone's eardrums out. But we're not going to worry too much. We're just going to keep it free form and flow with it. It is what it is. Hopefully, you recover soon, Sean. But yeah, we we talked about this last time. Obviously, I think the last movie. What what was that one called again? The uh, Sean arrival. Pitt, the arrival. That was, yeah, that was that was the uh, the Charlie Sheen movie. Yeah, so we've been building up to doing it again and i had the choice of a movie this time and i picked 1993's hard target and uh yeah that's what we're going to be chatting about today in this in focus so hopefully we'll uh be succinct maybe <laughs> we're not gonna bo- we're not gonna bother with flight decks anything like that we're just gonna talk for maybe an hour about hard target you know how how bad can it be the Ooh, movie this, this or, one, or, this, or this cast you know it goes both ways th- th- this this one was a rough one i oh, oh. i i disagree but we'll, right. we'll yeah, go. I, guess it, I guess it depends on your perspective that's true <laughs> this is true so hard target was released in 1993 it's john woo's hollywood directorial debut he came over after doing a bunch of um hong kong movies and um, this was in finding his feet in Hollywood, as it were. Obviously, John Wee goes on to do like what, Mission Impossible 2, um, mm-hmm. Broken Arrow, uh, Face Off, a bunch of um, 90s blockbusters, action kind of things. But yeah, we have uh, John Claude Van Damme in the uh, lead role. But... With, with a mullet, no less. Yeah, yeah. It was mullet Van Damme. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, summarizing the plot, really, I I would like kind of say it more follows um, Natasha. What's her name? Um, Yancy Butler, a character name, uh, but yeah. it's played by Natasha, uh, someone or other. I don't know. I'm a horrible person. Uh, Yancy, Yancy, Yancy Butler, Butler is, is the actress Yancy Butler. Oh, yeah, Yancy Butler yeah. plays Natasha Binder. That's the yeah, one. My, yeah, my note yeah. about having Yancy Butler in the movie was yum. <laughs> I was really surprised. I, did not, I didn't realize she was in this film. Yeah, I mean, she does a good job. It follows her in the search for a father who was a homeless man in New Orleans. And it turns out that there's an evil like capitalist hunting ring who pays homeless people to run to a river. And if you make it to a river, you get to keep your $10,000. And if you don't, it's because you're dead and they shot you. So rich people pay them to hunt people, you know? It's basically the most dangerous game, but with John Woo. Exactly. It, that, that's exactly what I was going to say. That's probably the most succinct way to, to sum up the, the, the plot, is it is a a, a discount version of the uh, most deadliest whoa, game. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Discount. Oh. So it's interesting you say discount version, but it actually has a decent cast. 
Oh yeah, no, the cat is fantastic, and there is some, there are some great moments in there. It, so, all right, so uh, to to kind of, let's summarize the plot before I start getting into some of some of my qualms with this movie. Um, you started off by summarizing the plot that obviously Yancey Butler's character is trying to go down to New Orleans to find her father who she hasn't in contact with. Turns out he was um, one of these uh, homeless, and they have to be homeless veterans, keep in mind, because yeah. it's not just combat experience. Yeah, it's got to be someone with combat experience that they're specifically looking for, that they basically strap a belt of $10,000 in cash, and if you make it to the river, it's all your money. And Unless then you fall through a landing, your feet are in the river, but, you know, apparently you don't just let go and fall in. Yeah, and no. then say, "Well, I'm in. I'm at the river. It's fine. I've won." Yeah, no, no, no. They still... So she's trying to find out what happened to her father. I, we have Jean Claude Van Damme's character, who is some sort of like. I mean, he seems to be kind of a down on his luck former military. So he is um, a sailor. He is an able seaman who mm -hmm. um, was previously to that a military veteran. His current job was being a seaman, but he found out that. The captain of a ship was smuggling. Um, I, they they don't call it heroin. I think they say opioids or something in the movie. And then instead of you know just going along with it, he punches his captain, throws him over, overboard, and then gets um, blacklisted from the union. Has arrears in his union dues and on his work kind of thing. But that's uh, Chance Bourdieu, is it? Chance. Yep. Yep. And I, all right, all right. I'm, no, I'm not getting into. I'm not getting the script. I'm not getting care stuff. I'll just I'll hold all of my thoughts until we get through the the summarization of the plot of this movie. Yeah. Um. So he rescues uh, Natasha Yance's character in um, a street brawl, which is how we're introduced to all of the the core of the cast there. And I may have closed it and fly off in a display of manliness <laughs> at that moment. Look, man, he gets his, <laughs> his double kick off, takes two guys out with one hopping kick. It's great. Yep. Um, I was I was waiting for the leg in the air for like 30 seconds. I, 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 so when I started... Yeah, go, you got, go, you go. When before the movie started, I've seen enough. I've not seen this Jean Claude Van Damme movie, which is actually kind of surprising because I thought I'd seen them all. I'd not seen this one. So when I sat down to start watching this movie, the kids were watching it with me, and I'm like, I'm doing a count of how many times Jean Claude Van Damme does a split in the movie because I swear every single it movie was, it's a half split kick. There, there's it a half white make it, which I didn't count. The only time yeah. he ever does, I guess he does, he does a jump up in the air double kick. Yeah, that, that's what I'm talking about. It's okay, the only the, time he almost the, does a split it's kick. It's the only he, time. So, like, yeah. in every other film I've ever seen him yeah. do, he finds a way to do a split. He did not do it in this one. So was, that's yeah. what's so genius about Hard Target. <laughs> that's why it's a classic Van Damme pick, because it doesn't feature It subverts your expectations of this Jean-Claude Van Damme split. Yeah. Like, there's anyway. very little hand-to-hand -hand combat, really, in the film as well. Oh, boy. Let's talk. We'll talk about gun combat yeah. later. Mm. Oh, I, I'm all in on that bit. It's going to be good. Um, <laughs> but they they delve into it. They find um, obviously what's been going on. They're, they're kind of investigating. They go to local police, and it's a birthday, and she's singing herself a, a happy birthday song with a cake with one candle in it. <laughs> um, that's 
Casey Lemons, is it? Is that her name? Detective Ooh. Marie Mitchell. Yeah. Um, I have her fucking ear. Yes. But yeah, she um, is initially quite dismissive, advises her to go and get someone to help show around the city. Can't take a missing person's report because they don't have anywhere to be missing from, you know. Just classic well, callous America in the nineties. It's fine. But you also you also had the whole police force on strike except her. Mm-hmm. Also, that's uh, not, they, that's... they've all been paid off. She was the one who was um, too noble to get paid off. That's not how missing person reports work in the U.S. Just I'm throwing a... that out there. I'm a big fan of that scene. Um, obviously, <laughs> you don't want to go into it, but we'll, we'll get there. We'll get, um, there. We'll get there. But her introductory scene is really, really strong and also sure. hilarious. Um, and then they, they pursue. Uh, it gets deeper. Uh, the the ring of um, people hunters, uh, led by Lance Hendrickson's Emil Fucon, uh, is um, He's, he hams it up so well in this movie too. Oh, he's oh. so good. So Does, do you like his elephant rifle pistol? Oh God, yeah! And yeah, how inefficient! How it, no sights, no sights at all on the barrel of that gun. He just straight it straight down the barrel. If he had sights, mate, it hit someone. <laughs> it, single single it, shot too. Keep in mind, it's single shot. So yeah. every time he takes a shot, he has to you know pull the pull the um, casing but, but, out, put a new one in. Yeah, the oh, anti tank grind that he places into it each time. That's what you call, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, the amount of damage they were doing was hilarious. But Oh, we'll get, my, I, I, my, I have a theory I behind do, that. I do, I do have to say my favorite, so, and really quick, you know, uh, when I go through my stuff, I did the first, I literally took notes on the first five scenes of the movie and then just had to stop because I would have been writing all day. Um, but the best scene I thought in the movie for, horrible continuity or horrible anything was when they were in the helicopter and the mummy shoots his M203 grenade launcher and then shoots his M203 grenade launcher again mm-hmm. without them oh, showing. I think you'll find, Sean, they were all just bullets. Oh. Yeah. Bullets in the world of hard target have a magical property. They make trees <laughs> explode. They make dirt Her? explode. <laughs> but, the but the, shot, the bullets shot. in the hard target universe, magic. <laughs> It's Everything they hit explodes. <laughs> but he did shoot. Like, he did shoot two hundred three twice without. I mean, literally almost in succession, which is impossible. Yeah. You know, I yeah. carried a two hundred three, so they're not and firing machine was, guns; they're firing bolt guns. It's really what I they're mean, shooting. This is my favorite. Uh, my favorite part of a movie, apart from Jean Claude, obviously, is um, Pick Van Cleef as the uh, the typical nineties underboss. The henchman who you've got to kill to graduate to be able to fight the final boss. And that, as Sean rightly pointed out, it was Arnold Voslo, who yeah. is the actor who plays a mummy. Oh no, you have you have overlooked the shining star of this film, and that is Wilfred Brimley doing his absolute best to fake a French accent. I mean Wilfred Charles 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 I, like, so I mean, there, there are, are, we, are, we, do, are we gonna finish the plot setups here? <laughs> because, because uh, <laughs> I swear, see that much fun. Right, I'm gonna just point out how much fun you're having remembering back all of this and yes, how joyous, yes. how much joy it, it it's brought is. to your life. It is, and you're gonna I, tell I, me that this isn't a good movie, but I will get there. But you know, the so, creme de la creme is where his character is introduced. 
there the the you could tell that it was voice dubbed over with someone who actually speaks the French language. And I'm still convinced the reason why they chose the filming spot where they are and having the French language in there is because of Jean-Claude Van Damme and his accent. Because yeah. no one can tell the difference between a Brussels French accent and a you know in the Bayou Cajun French accent, apparently they're the exact same thing. But when his character's introduced, there's a complete dub over where someone talks completely in French for a good 30 seconds. And then every other time he speaks French, it's obviously Wilfred Brimley trying and failing to make a French accent. <laughs> oh God, it was so good. It was so good. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, just some other notables in uh, and since we're going through the cash, we've got- um... Sure, sure, sorry. So the, the group is going to go on one final hunt, and that is hunting Willie C. Carpenter's uh, Eli Roper's char uh, the character name. And he is one of the veterans who's been helping them kind of piece it together. And I, he, he was kind of in charge of sweeping up all of the, the, the homeless shelter and all of that kind of thing. But he um, gets... Ripped verbally, ripped to pieces by uh, Lance Hendrickson. You know, don't you want people to look you in the eye of respect oh, when mm -hmm. you're walking down the street? And Willie C. Captain masterclass performance when he's uh, running away and asking people for help, moving, moving scenes. Yep. Um, well, and you know what? What my favorite? Well, when with him, the best scene with him was was when uh, Yancey Butler, and I don't remember her character's name, Natasha. Walk, Natasha walks up to him and was asking about her, her father. And she goes, were you in the military too? And he's literally wearing his uniform shirt. <laughs> yeah. well, do, you remember, do you remember the 90s? Sometimes wearing military uniforms, the whole stolen valor thing, it was, you know, it was a thing, like, oh, I'm going to wear camo everywhere. <laughs> um... And then, obviously, that all goes wrong because he proves to be a uh, a harder hunt than it expected. And as this is going on, uh, they're demanding that an autopsy gets redone by um, Casey Lemon's character. And it turns out everyone in the city has kind of been paid off. So uh, they go around cleaning up loose ends, which is uh, an enjoyable, like, five minutes. Um yeah, they intimate that these rich people move from city to city to city, and yeah. they indicate, I guess, they're going to go to someplace where there's a war, you know, where if people disappear... Uh, no Eastern really Europe gonna next. Notice. It's going to yeah. live in a castle and hunt in Eastern Europe next. Yeah. It'd be great. Um, oh, we forgot to introduce the... Um, it's not a pimp, is it? The fat guy who runs the... The um, middleman. The middleman. Middle yeah. yeah, the one who directs the homeless people to he's them the, and say, hey, you want to meet some money? Fixer. He's the yeah. fixer. Yeah. Um, because uh, Pick Van Damme uh, does a job on him with a shotgun at point blank range. Uh, so he's holding the shotgun at his neck, pulls the trigger, there's blood all over the screen, and it shows you a shot from the through the rear view window as Van Damme and the rest of the good guys all turn up, and his head's still attached. Yep. And you know, yep. Feel like was probably an error. If your normal bullets make things explode, this is the weakest shotgun ever. Yep, everything but shotgun shells at point-blank range less than an inch from your head. Everything else explodes, except those. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've obviously played too much Resident Evil with the shotgun, that's my problem. Apparently. But, um, yeah, so then they decide they, that everyone knows too much, 
like Natasha, Chance, and Nikop all know too much, so they need to get get dead. But we only need we only really need to kill Chance. That's he's the only important one. He's the problem. But, yeah. So they chase him through the streets in front of millions of witnesses. But it turns out there's no one in New Orleans. Like you drive down the road on your motorbike. There's no one there. It's fine. Traditionally known as a city that goes to sleep at nine p.m. Yeah. Traditionally. Yeah, I mean, especially I think, in the French Quarter. Yeah, the budget for the extras for this movie must have been pretty low because, like, everywhere's deserted all the time. It's great. No witnesses, you see. Uh, my assumption in universe is that we've just paid everybody off. Look, here's a hundred dollars. Just don't be on the street today. I guess that, that works. That, that and there were literally no cars on the highway. Nope. Yeah. It was, it was an abandoned. Must have been like a post. Post Hurricane uh, New Orleans. Uh, probably, I'm going to go with post Mardi Gras, the day after when everyone's kind of recovering. Oh, that there was roadworks. Everyone knew to avoid that way. <laughs> exactly. Um, but then it, yeah, it it moves from being in New Orleans to being in the Bayou, where okay. we we're, we're introduced to um, Chance's favorite uncle, and uncle um, he, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he's great. I'm a big fan. And that was we... that was that was Wilford Brimley after he got fired from the nuclear power plant in China Syndrome. He had to go and and maybe go back to the Bayou. Fresh back from his trip from to Antarctica in the thing, he went to yeah. you know, it didn't work out. He said two really bad jobs. So I mean, I guess this is what <laughs> happens when you retire. Yeah. Um. And then we kind of get. A... I don't even know. It's kind of a a chase scene across the bayou kind of thing, but it isn't. It it feels like um, a little bit Rambo First Blood esque. Very, very much um, so. But like, it's just a wall in the film. Like, it definitely slows down a little bit there. And then we get to the climax of a film, which is in um, the war. It's a factory that has like steam steam towers and big metal gears lying around, but also happens to be the place where you store all of your old Mardi Gras floats. Yep. All at the same time. Because it makes perfect sense. Like, we used to do work here, but these Mardi Gras floats needed somewhere to live, so that's more important. Um, you get a lot of mood lighting. It gets dark real, really quickly. Uh, from being like midday, it's suddenly 9pm at night, and it's great. And yeah, we get the final shootout, and Everyone lives happily ever after, apart from any of the bad guys. Yeah. All dead. Because yeah, all and... 600 of them are dead. <laughs> well, and Jean-Claude Van Damme held a burning piece of wood for like a minute and a half. Uh -huh. And then kicks it in half. And then kicks it in half, yep. But, yeah. but in the scene previous, though, Lance Hendrickson was literally on fire. And they <laughs> did... <laughs> They they didn't see bother right, so like in conceptually I know how that tr trick is done. They have that flame retardant gel they put on you. They kind of put it on. Oh, you're on fire. And then you take it off. But like it was all in his hair, and they didn't bother to clean him up or anything. So like as that scene's coming off, as he's ripping off the flaming jacket, you can see his hair is yeah, soaked with flame retardant. Yeah, stuff. It's all one scene. There's no cut, and I. This is John Woo. Like this is Hong Kong cinema at its finest. 
but like if you don't appreciate ball- it, it's because you're an American audience and just aren't ready for brass balls on Lance Hendrickson for filming no, that scene because it- quite literally he was set on fire for well, that scene. Yeah. What kills me though about that is that Lance Hendrickson sets gets set on fire and actually does the scene, and then there's a scene where he gets kicked to the ground and it's a stunt double who's getting up and you can clearly see it's a stunt double clearly getting up and going in the doorway. So I, mean, I will say that's probably got more to do with John Claude being an absolute animal on beating up extras than it does with Lance Hendrickson. No, no, I, I get it. I get but it. Van Damme yeah. is famously, well, notorious for not pulling punches and kicks um, on set. He just beats people up because he's a dick, but you know. That's the real world, not not the um, the fable hard target universe we're talking about now. All right, oh, yeah. let me get, let me get through mine while I'm not in a coughing <laughs> spree. So, all right, so my first notes were scene one. So it's literally the start of the movie. Um, they jump the shark instantaneously. I'm gonna see if you're gonna highlight the same thing that I do. Go ahead. So, so the key is is that you got the scene where. We're we're doing the human hunt. Guys running down the street, hits the double fence gate, and if he would have gone left, he literally would have just gone right around the gate. But he went to the right where the fence line continued on, and I don't know if you guys caught that, but it's literally go left and you keep going. Nothing's gonna stop you. Go right. You're up against the fence line that's blocking people off from getting to the river, the riverside. And then there's two fucking trash cans there for no reason. <clears throat> and then he trips over the trash cans. And literally in my notes, I put garbage cans. What the fuck? Um, so Wait, then the bus... gate. If you're going to empty your garbage before you go through a gate, Sean, everyone does that. Just... Everybody does. Yeah, there's no houses really near it. But yeah. So Maybe it's uh... like the bait shop might have been putting the trash out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I would hate to own anything, any property on that riverfront, like business wise, because just gets blown up by a Beretta every every week, right. all the time. So then, my my last note on scene one was the the concept. It, um, what's his name says? If he makes it to the river, he wins. So he makes it to the river, and they still kill him. They still kill it, him. No, it, it was it wasn't in the water, Sean. That's what I'm telling you. It goes well, on the jetty. Been- well, he was on the, then, in the water. Hold on, he was in the water, but then he pulled himself back up. Yeah, he he opted to not have won yet. It was like, no, no, it's too easy. All right, I want to go a little <laughs> okay. bit longer. You, so you didn't touch. Through. You didn't touch on my favorite part to that scene. Well, Sir, let's let's wait till you do it. Wait, wait, wait till you do yours because I gotta okay. get through this. So, scene two, I, I just labeled it Yancey Butler, and then Yancey Butler Yum, and then there was talk about an oil tool company. But then nothing ever came. Maybe that's what the last uh, the last warehouse thing was, was like where the oil tool company was. Foreshadowing, perhaps? Yeah, mm. yeah. well, you've got to throw it out there so that you can hit towards what's going on. And then we already talked about when she talked uh, to the um, Carter, you know, when, when she said, was talking about her dad, that he was in the service, and he goes, I was in the service too, and she goes, or she goes, really? <laughs> While he's wearing his army uniform. <laughs> scene three is the mullet establishing scene. Mm-hmm. 
Doors open up. What do you see? You see Jean-Claude Van Damme sitting at the <clears throat> sitting at the counter, full mullet, full curly mullet. Left his wallet and his other tuxedo. Apparently, yep. use um, that excuse on you before, did I? <laughs> then you get yeah. the then you get the the first slow motion scene. Oh, but John Wayne almost. <sighs> yeah, it's cool. So as he's walking out the door, because he decides to walk out the door, but as he's doing. He's side eyeing two bad guys, and then. But it's you've missed the part that he's already noticed Yancy, but we're just flashing like thousands and thousands of dollars in cash. Right. Yeah. Just like. Right. Yeah, yeah. I don't fancy <laughs> surviving the next four hours of my life. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, when when uh, Miss Butler gets slapped. Uh, you, I mean, that slap missed so far from her face, it was unreal. And there was um, blood on a on a lip, right? She's on the on opposite a... side of where she was slapped, though. Yes, she was slapped on the. It would have been the left side, and she had blood on the right. Um, everybody out of that gang knew karate, of course. Of course, cause... the leg kicks, the the leg kicks. Well, I put... obviously, I believe, Sean, everyone in that gang had been fans of watching like kung fu or something right right because none of them landed anything right exactly um then i have oh my god the slow motion because there was so freaking much slow motion at that in this scene and then the, 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 the runtime of a movie is an hour and 37 minutes yes if everything was at constant speed i think you're looking at maybe an hour probably <laughs> yeah, it's about right and then he did get a J.J. Abrams lens flare in off the back window of that orange car, um, which just kind of like froze me for a second. I wasn't ready for that. Uh, scene four, we already talked about that. When she gets to the police station, all the cops out are outside on strike, and the detective, the only working detective who isn't on the who isn't on the payroll, <coughs> who isn't on the payroll, is having her solo birthday party. With the cake, with the lit candle, and when she comes up to her, she's like, can't we do this tomorrow? She's trying to file a missing persons report, and she's asking if she could do it tomorrow. And then the best scene in the whole movie is she uh, put, puts the cake in the drawer while it's still lit. Yep. Did we lose Ed? No, I'm still no. here. Uh, last scene so, that I have, the last no, scene that no, I Before have, you move on, Sean, there's, yeah. um, she turns to a typewriter and says, okay, let's fill out this missing persons report. Doesn't change the paper or do anything to do with a typewriter. Just ask for a name, punches some oh, keys, yeah. Yeah. enter, mm-hmm. relationship, oh, it's my father, punches some keys. Like, okay, you know, you could have just said, get lost, we're not doing it. You didn't have to lie. Because right. you've got a, pla- a plain sheet of paper that says somewhat a random name and, <laughs> like, spice. Right. <laughs> All right, last scene that I took notes on was the doc scene. And this is when Yancey meets up with Jean-Claude to offer him $100 a day to help find her father. He turns it down because he wants to get on the boat and go. He gets turned down from the boat. Um, she's he hasn't up, paid his dues. Because he hasn't paid his dues. He was reinstated, it, but was in arrears. Well, so you, you got it obviously out of order, because she offers him a job to work for her for $100 a day, and he says no. In right, 1991, doesn't, doesn't, by the way. Yeah, doesn't want to do it. 
it, it, he's got his dignity, you know. Then it turns out it's two hundred and seventeen dollars short. Yeah. So it do, it doesn't say. He goes back and says, like, "You'll pay me two hundred and seventeen dollars for two days." Right. Yeah. So, so the 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 part that really just blew me away in that whole thing wasn't the money in arrears, wasn't the offer. It's you see a forklift putting or pulling something off of a truck. Forklift goes back. Jean Claude Van Damme is there while she's in her car, ready. She was getting ready to leave. The forklift, the forklift, the exasperation her. in her face when the forklift pulls in front of her well, to okay. unload this truck. And then, and then the forklift moves away. Jean Claude Van Damme is standing there in his trench coat, and the music turns into porn style music, <laughs> and she gets this look. And I have in my notes. This movie just turned into a porn forklift double take. Yep. That was that was the scene where I'm like, I'm surprised her clothes didn't fly off. Yep. Yep. You you knew that that transitioned <laughs> the whole movie. I thought all of the music was either banjo music or uh, <laughs> just like proper New Orleans Mardi Gras music all the way through. I love the no, soundtrack. Prob- probably was. That was probably just in my head, you know. The the way that she looked at him with bite almost biting her lip, you know, it was like, oh my god! If she'd have been doing the hand waving, oh my goodness! <laughs> I do declare. I, that's yeah. what I, I yeah. It's like, I, that's exactly what it should have been. <laughs> yeah, she should have had like a for just that scene, you know, the hat, the the you know round brim hat, you know, with the with a fan. And that's pretty much where I stopped taking notes and just started watching the movie because. I just because it was keep... that good, Sean. You were that gripped that you didn't have time to. I understand. I actually liked it. I don't like Jean Claude Van Damme, and I don't like those movies. I remember watching this when I was a kid, you know, or, or not a kid, but yeah, in the time frame when the movie came out. <laughs> and my guess is it was probably like um like a Saturday afternoon movie on TV, you know, probably like on TBS or something like that where it came on. Because I didn't remember a lot of it. And then I actually watched it once while I had COVID. I had to rent this thing twice. <laughs> um, but I watched it once while I had COVID and literally had no recollection of the entire thing. And then that's the <laughs> message that I sent today. So I was re-watching it today. And I'm like, you know, not not a terrible movie. I, it still took IQ points away, though. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Ed. All right. So you missed my favorite part in that opening scene. We've all seen this scene before done in other movies and other places. You have someone with a crossbow or a bow. No, and no you are, it's a not, hunting rifle that fires arrows. Okay. Whatever hold on, it hold is. Hold on, hold on, hold on. It fires steel arrows. Steel arrows. Steel, with, steel shafted. Steel shafted, steel tipped, and it looked like they were steel feathered. So yeah. we've all seen that scene. Someone fires an arrow. You see the person coming, you know, on the other side that's being shot at. There's a brief, maybe half a second scene of a, here's a spinning arrow coming at you. And then the person running and then they get hit. But not in this movie. You get the, here's a spinning arrow. Oh crap. I got shot at. I need to turn and run. Here's more spinning arrow. I better run out of the way. And then more spinning arrow. Like, they just, like, what is going on? There's a shot of that arrow flying at three consecutive cuts. 
to this arrow flying in that scene. In the opening scene. Literally the Robin Hood Robin Hood arrow scene almost. Yes. So I think that what happened here is that they did the poster for the movie before they shot the movie. And mm. now you've got you've got this ball you've got this so the the poster for the movie is a steel-tipped arrowhead with John Cord's face reflected in it. And hard target, don't hunt what you can't kill. And they're like, oh man, we've all got guns. What we're we thinking? We can't do it with a bullet. We've got to have a bow and arrow in somewhere. And it's like, well, Chance's uncle has got a bow and arrow. Yeah. So maybe, yeah, you know, oh, but then it doesn't make sense to have John Cord's face reflected in his uncle's bow and arrow arrow, does it? We can't have one Sendrickson's face on it. So we need an arrow right at the start just to hammer home what we're talking about here. So we're just going to focus on it like multiple times and then we're done and it's all fine. Yep. Yeah, but, but the, I, I, the, I worst part it. About, the worst part about it, though, is like bad guy number five was the guy shooting it. Yeah. 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 Like, no one important, no major player, dies very quickly at the very end, doesn't matter at all. Just, yep. Oh, but, man. But, he's not I, the guy who dies to a snake though so it doesn't matter that's true that's true so that's not what i thought you were going to say what i thought you were going to say is they had pre-filmed those arrow scenes in preparation for the film like oh man, we spent ten thousand dollars on filming this arrow scene we better get ten thousand dollars worth of arrow out of this damn movie so and john was like all right Let's just get them all out of the way right away. Boom, boom, boom. They're done. We got well, that was here. that was the whole special effects budget was on that one arrow. Oh no, good sir, I would beg to differ with you on that. that. There's I a whole lot of explosion budget. I will bet you that they got. And this is my theory for the final scene. If we were to get there, I will get, bet you my theory is that they budgeted ten million dollars for explosives in this movie, and they get nine tenths of the way done filming the film. They're getting ready to film the final scene at the end and go, uh, John, we've still got like almost all of our explosions and explosives. What are we going to do with all this stuff? I mean, we paid for it. He's like, we're going to use it all on this we're one gonna, scene. We're going to blow the what, oil what, tool factory up. We, we had um, a bunch of special effects budgets, but you said to, instead of spending it on this snake, you said to just grab one of those plastic ones out of the like, dollar bin. So like we budgeted five hundred thousand dollars, John. Like I don't know what what should we do with this money? Well, you know what? Firecrackers in the dirt. For every bullet that hit, no matter what it hits, it hits trees, Spanish moss, rocks, explosions everywhere. I was surprised that the water didn't explode when they were shooting near a river. Yes, but I will. The one thing I will say is this: is that every gun was pointed up, and every bullet hit the ground. I mean that's just science, Sean. Gravity. Right. I don't... Yeah, yeah. It's it's the uh, you know right? <laughs> curvature of the Earth. You know, from forty six feet away. You know, it's hey, just gravity. Can, can we talk about the fact that Jean Claude Van Damme is fighting most of these guys with a shotgun that you literally see dust blow off of as he you know pulls it out, and then he's hitting helicopters at like three hundred feet in the air with a goddamn shotgun. Like no uh, shotgun nine mil the nine mil that he's still shooting while the thing is while the uh um damn it I can't think of the name the uh bolt is forward yeah. he's out of bullets and he's still shooting it 
no, and they're still not. still producing bullets. And then uh, finally, uh, finally, somebody realizes, oh, he needs to reload. So then he reloads. You know, I, you you are missing the most John Woo shot of the entire movie so far, though. The, do- the doves. So, the doves. No, no, there's the John Woo doves and the, the pigeons and the birds. That's all in there. It's, it's you know, Jeff's kiss. It's great. But there, the, the, John, the, the guy has got his shotgun. The guy comes around the corner. He punches him. Sees a reflection of someone behind him in his eyes. So he unholsters the, the guy's pistol and fires it upside down. And then turns around and continues firing the pistol, holding it from the butt of the pistol, with a gun upside down, and his other finger from his other hand, just machine gunning the trigger on the upside down pistol. Yep, 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 yep. The fifteen shot nine mil magazines were producing about thirty five. Yeah, you you thought that John Woo had excelled himself with sideways double pistols. You know what's even more rotated than sideways? Upside down. Oh, yeah. With, with the exception of the, the last pistol in the movie, luckily for Jean-Claude Van Damme, everybody used 9mm Berettas because the magazines all matched. Yeah. Thankfully. Yep. Conveniently, you'd one might say. Oh. Can we can we talk about the script for this one for just a moment? Because I got to the end of this movie. I mean, so like that's the basic premise. It's a deadliest game kind of story. It's definitely got the John Woo flavor to it, of course. It's definitely got the Jean Claude Van Damme flavor to it. For but like when I sat back and reflected on this movie after watching, I'm like, this is a script that a 13 year old would have written if they thought this is what a badass does. I'm going to be this cool guy. I'm going to go in and kick the crap out of these five girls and five guys and get the girl. And then, wait, there's 47 machine gun guys there. I'm going to fling a motorcycle at them. And then I'm going to just keep shooting and explosions are going to happen everywhere. Like, I, I like the fact that this was written uh, down by a professional I'm going Hollywood to, writer. I'm going to flick this tank of gas up off the floor <laughs> at the motorcycle driver. Shoot it with my shotgun so it explodes with such force that the guy and bike go flying through the window that was twenty yards behind him. Oh God! Like I, I'm, I am. Look, I, I've never considered myself a very particularly good writer, but I have. There are many, many times when I sit down and watch a film and go, I could have wrote something better than that. I know I could have. This one, I guarantee you, I could have written a better script than this. Like oh my god! Like, even even the 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 swooning scene in the opening scene was just, it was so campy. I, I, it's like how did this get made? How did someone read this script and went, "Yep, good." <laughs> it, Go. They needed something for to. I, <laughs> so I, I I'm gonna frame this for you, right? Okay, I don't know how much of the um, the Hong Kong cinema of John Woo kind of style previous to like that little 90s run he had. And I think he's making a new new film at the moment, actually. I think John Woo is currently working on a a Hollywood movie, I believe. IMDb, here I go. (laughs) But, um, like, it it is a very, like, Hong Kong-styled movie. And you have to... A lot of that kind of stuff is playing to that audience, not to a Western audience. 
Sure, so, sure. I get yeah, that. And that's yeah. the reason why they brought him in. I understand that. So, like, there's two different things, though. There's the script, and then there's the director's influence on the script. Yeah. It depends on how their interpretation of the script is. He can only work with what he was working with. And I assume this being his first movie, he's like, well, if this is the script, I'm going to do the best I can with the script that I was given. I keep going back to, how is this the script that got written? I mean... So did you know that did you know that Sam Raimi also worked on this film? I did not. Yep. So it says here director Sam Raimi also worked on the film behind the scenes because Universal hired him to keep an eye out on yeah, John I did not know this yet. Yeah, because it was yeah. his first um directorial thing. They, yeah, uh, in America they wanted a an established name to kind of sit on his shoulder kind of thing and not let him go to John Woo. Yeah, and the best well, part about it is Kurt Russell was originally cast instead of Jean-Claude Van Damme. For this? Yes, but they couldn't wait. Oh my god. I can't Kurt Russell like if it had been like a big trouble little China kind of Kurt Russell, I think this might that might have worked out better. Chris, you're gonna get your wish. You're not gonna have to wait too long for John Woo's next movie. It is Silent Night. It is due out December first, two thousand twenty three. Yeah, see, uh I know some things. Yeah, you do. So, you not do. a lot. I, don't, I so, know some. So when you go through the trivia, and this is something I notice because a lot of times I go to the trivia and stuff when I watch movies on uh, um, Amazon Prime. Probably eighty percent of the trivia talks about all the goofs in the continuity of the movie. Mm-hmm. So there I might mean, have been one or two continuity issues in the movie. So the one. I don't really mind that kind of goof in this kind of movie because that's not what you're watching it for, if you know what I mean? Like, she, right. when she puts the cake in the drawer and then takes it out, the candle's burnt like, all the way down and it's just down. on its well, last legs. Well, when, which, she takes like, it, when she takes it out of the drawer, there's like, you know, three eighths of an inch left. And then when she blows it out, it's at the cake level. Yeah. You know, and little it, it's like, like that. uh, that's obviously the for effect rather than, you know, it, it's doing a job, whatever. Um, that was the Oscar I, moment. That I'm was the Oscar fan. moment of the movie. Uh, I'm a big fan of the fact that Lance Hendrickson plays two different characters in this movie. Why like, he's really rational and very business focused, getting the job done, fight, tired of working with amateurs, and then um, oh, let's see the guy's name again. Oh, Arnold Vosloo's character. Uh, Peck is I could take him from the air I can be in the helicopter and quite rightly could just shoot him with his like telescopic rifle from the helicopter it's like no drive him into our ambush I want to like oh okay I mean I I didn't actually realize you were playing a psychopath well and you know and and you do realize that Jean-Claude Van Damme shot someone with a shotgun in the helicopter from about 100 yards uh huh. Like I said, three hundred feet with a shotgun. I mean, that's that's a that's a lot of range for buckshot. I mean, I does go on to talk about that and it being the wrong tool for a job, which would have been cool if it had set up like scenes where they were picking weapons and talking about that kind of thing. But again, it just plays two different characters in the movie. Uh, he won the Saturn Award for Best Supporting Actor, which you know. In 1994, the Saturn Award winner for Best Supporting Actor was Lance Hendrickson for this role. For this role. All yeah. right, so 
if we want to go down to some of the acting part of it, Lance is probably the the highlight, I would think. I mean, Yancy, Yancy Butler did a pretty good job. Okay. Um, uh, Lan- I, you- I, I think the, the two main villains are good. I actually think this is one of John Claude's better roles because it's kind of in that transition from him just being the guy who kicks people yep. to yeah, him he- starting to take on roles that involve any level of acting. Yeah, when... It, when, you know, we she, even got a Jean-Claude Van Damme manly tear scene too when his friend dies. Yeah, well, it, that's what it, it's kind of introducing the, the fact, like giving him a range. I I think Jean-Claude Van Damme is a better actor than he got was allowed to show in something like Kickboxer. No, I'm not saying Jean-Claude Van Damme is a good actor. <laughs> yeah, you're just right? saying he's the, better the, the, than he's presented. Yeah, but I, I think that he gives a, a good performance. Range. Yeah, I think he had a good performance in this. Um, The scene when he he comes in and takes over a massage and sends the woman away. Yeah, that was pretty good. Uh, He he has good moments in this film. Uh, I don't think there's any chemistry. I I think that the movie is lessened by the the interactions. And I I believe that there's a different cut of the movie where they have better scenes together. Um, which I can't remember if I've seen or not. It's been a long time. Um, but you can, so my history for watching this was it were, we, we had it on VHS. Uh, or my one of my uncles had it on VHS, so I'd watch it. Was like a fifteen-year-old in nineteen ninety-seven because it was the when I would go and stay at my grandparents' house. Um, but yeah, it was just I watched this like four or five times in like. 97, 98 kind of thing, and then didn't watch it for 20 years, so don't worry about it. Um, and then I think, as I said, I've, um, I've lost all the people now. Uh, yeah, Lance Henriksen and Arnold Vossel are really good. Um, I did like... Um, uh, Carter's, I, Carter's character was really good. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I did. I did like the police officer lady. I thought she yep. did a good job. Um, yep. It was performed well, and like the her death scene is good, and like yep. brings out the callousness of um, Jean Claude. And yeah, I think that, I don't think the acting is bad in this movie. I just yeah, it's just not yeah. good. <laughs> no, no. I mean, you know, one of the things like. So when you get down to it, you know, it's it's kind of like <laughs> Jean Wu's version of a Western. Yeah, I can that, see that. That in the bayou where it's definitely not a Western because of that. But you had the horse scene, you know, you had the horse chasing, you had the amazingly impossible shot to blow up that table of crap at the... At Wilford Brimley, uh, he's uh, <laughs> his uh, moonshine distillery. Yeah, you know, but yeah. it was a, an amazing shot that tips something over that would then cause it to blow up, like the chemical reaction. It caused it to it, blow up. That lights the fuse to the dynamite that is strapped next to it, which also blows up the house. Right. Which, which they totally yeah, had time to set up, by the way. I think that, oh. I personally think that that was set up day one oh. before anything was wrong. I just think what that's normal. The... I think that that's um, Uncle Duvo's, you know, modus operandi. 
Yeah. Okay, I've built a new wooden house in the bayou. I've got my distillery set up so I can make my transparent whiskey. Because everyone knows all good quality whiskey is see-through with mm. no color at all. Um, <laughs> definitely not paint thinner. It's fine. So one Next of the... job is dynamite everywhere. Yeah. One of the one of the things I noticed in that scene is one of the bad guys has a regular rifle, and then all of a sudden, as Wilford Brimley was riding off on his horse, <clears throat> he was then carrying an M203. <laughs> like, like uh, it, it, the continuity wasn't there. I yeah. didn't, it was I funny didn't, to me. I didn't particularly like the game, quote-unquote, itself. And I was kind of hoping to chat a little bit about Because I've seen other versions of this story, of the hunting, you know, the most dangerous animal, hunting man. They're the ones that can outthink you kind of thing. And in every other version of that one, they give them at least a sporting chance. Like, so that there's an actual possibility that if someone with the right skill set could potentially escape the situation. What Not this it? one. It's hey, a whoa, five, whoa, whoa, whoa. five it's minute f- head start with the motorcycles on them right away. Right. Who are immediately opening fire within the opening. <laughs> like, I mean, which is... Which is 100% fair. You give him five-minute head start, but he's literally followed. I don't I don't know what inflation is as well. But, I, but like $10,000 in 1993. I mean, man, New Orleans must be cheap to live in. I don't know. Yeah, but like, you're, you're, looking at, you're looking at homeless people, though. I, I get that, Sean. But you know, they make it pretty clear... Like it's not like we're kind of building up to the fact that you might die. It's right. It's ten thousand dollars. If Here's you the make money it to a belt. river, we don't kill you. Yeah. Like, it, it's well, a pretty. Uh, it's not. A, they're not doing a hard sell, are they? It's pretty like <laughs> basics of yeah, you know what else you got to live for, you loser. So ten thousand dollars in nineteen ninety one money tur- uh, uh, equates to in U S dollars twenty two thousand eight hundred and fifty eight dollars now. So yeah, and that's what I mean. I understand that different parts of America have, you know, different needs. Like, that gets you maybe a month's rent in LA. <laughs> maybe. Like, that's like, you know, probably you could buy two houses in, in the bayou. That's, that's what I mean. Right, as long as it, it's like a feasible amount of money to just say, yeah, you can kill me, it's fine. Yeah. Um. So really quick, there was a line in the movie <laughs> where Jean-Claude Van Damme says something to the effect where, like, you know, Poor people like to hunt too, or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you just can't beat that line. You know, that's when Lance Hendrickson says to him, "I," she he says, "It's right at the end. It's part one of a closing exchange." It's right to uh, Yancey Butler's character. So I understand you. Uh, it was family. It's personal for you. It looks over at Chance like, "But why are you in this?" It's like poor people like to hunt too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um. I'm a big fan of the Chekhov's gun moment. <laughs> uh, so they're like, they're walking, they just get into a bayou, they, they jump off the train, they're in the bayou now, and Yancey's like, oh, do we have to be worried about alligators? And John Claude's like, if it's going to make you move faster, yeah. Like, oh, God, we're setting up alligators. And then they, you come in contact with a wildlife and it's a snake. Yeah, well, it was, uh, come it was on, man. It was the standstill. I mean, that that the, scene's beautiful. Like, the scene with the is. snake is amazing, but she could have said, Do we need to be worried about snakes? Snakes. Yes. Right. Like, it's a. 
It's this almost as if they had filmed that scene and went, okay, so where's the rubber rubber alligator that we got for the scene? And they're like, uh, sorry, John, we couldn't find one, but I found this. All right, I guess you're going with a snake. I, 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 so I'm going to explain this scene for people who haven't yet seen the movie. I would advise watching it. It's amazing. Top quality movie. You can't go wrong. But um, there's, a, there's a moment, there's tension, there's sexual tension between Chance and Natasha. And he's like, do you trust me? And she's like, yes, close your eyes. And so I want, why do I need to trust you with my eyes closed? And then she closes her eyes. And then just from the periphery of a shot, the worst plastic snake you've ever seen fangs <laughs> out, comes into shot, and Junko grabs it and then bites a rattle off it because apparently it's a rattlesnake, but it didn't do anything to alert them to its presence or that it was threatened by them. But it's definitely a rattlesnake. It's definitely yeah. a rattlesnake. So he bites a rattle off it, and then she's like, oh, what are you doing? So I'm going to leave a surprise for our um, pursuers or whatever. And then he sets up the most ingenious, logical trap you can ever think of to do with this rattlesnake, but it doesn't have a rattle anymore. So he puts a rattlesnake in a tree at the side of the path and covers it up. Then he puts some string on the floor. The string on the floor pulls the leaves off a snake. So the guy walks, he hits a line, the, the cover of the snake comes off, which I, it has to, they had nothing. They've not got to the uncle's house yet. So he's got this trip wire, he just carries trip wire on him. As one does. Yeah. With a camel net to cover snakes up, but you've bitten the rattle off of. That didn't bleed out during the time frame of yeah. that happening. And was quite calm on this tree until it was uncovered and then the act of uncovering it from five feet away whilst it's up in a tree 10 foot high forces the snake to jump at you and bite you in the face nothing could go wrong with this trap no nothing it was perfect like 100 guaranteed to take out at least one of your pursuers that dude failed perception his (laughs) perception roll like there was no tomorrow and then and his, his reflex, and then his then his reflex or dex roll. That dude that I mean double me, ones, that, man, that'll get you every time. I, I don't even I think he rolled like an eighteen, but did you see him? He was obvious he's one of the people who pays to hunt other humans. He was obviously like the uh the big boisterous Texan dude who uh just doesn't have any skills at all. And right. uh, yeah. Right. That they gave How a gun you- to. How many of these fucking guys? Did, like, I I would love to go back and rewatch this and just do a kill count. Not j- just do. There had to have been, like, no joke, a hundred people that are all in. So then I start asking questions like, if this is a secret organization, how the hell are there a hundred people involved in this? It's not and even no, that. So and nobody the, the, says a word. <laughs> nobody. The, pain, the cost to hunt. So we don't know the cost to hunt um, Yancey Butler's dad. We don't know that cost. Yeah, we don't know that. The cost of the second hunt was half a million dollars. Yep. And the guy dies. Yeah. Because Wax Hendricks is in there. This is why we get you to pay up front and shoots him with his elephant gun pistol. Well, he dies because he got wounded. Let's, let's yeah, but let's, he let's, he, well, he does but... he does finish him off. Lance Henderson does finish off the guy who's just given him half a million dollars. Uh, presumably, he told this guy told his wife, "Oh, I'm going on a, a hunting retreat with this company. 
Um, right. Anyone needs in me? Africa or something. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, I'm probably sure, fairly certain he didn't say, I'm just going to go and kill some, some homeless people. Like, he probably didn't go that in depth on what he was doing. But I'm pretty sure he, like, he would have told his secretary. Uh, he's got half a million dollars to pay to hunt someone with, you know? Probably shooting the guy isn't the best kind of. Probably mm. not. Yeah. And, um, I, mean, I mean, you but, just set that up as, you know, the, the animal got him. Yeah, but then the next, the next hunt to hunt John Claude, quite rightly, is even more dangerous. So the buy-in for this one is seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars, like three quarters of a million dollars each, and there's twenty of them. Yeah, there's two ways. And of then, them. then he says, anyone, if you're lucky enough to bring him down, I'll count this as your tab paid. So did you get him to pay up front or not once? Because you shot the other guy because he paid up front. Well, he was on a time crunch, though, like, to be able to go in and get him, so he had to do something. Yeah, but, like, you know what? 20 people times 750,000? I, uh, I, it was only half a million for me when I did it on my own. Now I'm competing with all these other people. Surely it should be, like, 20 grand. No, it, it should be. Oh, well, man. Lance got greedy on, at the end there. At no point do any of these people who owe this guy $750,000 go, whoa, 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 stop talking to me like that. I'm not going to pay you. Mm-hmm. And wait a minute, that guy just got bitten in the face by a fucking snake. I'm probably done now. I don't need this shit. Yep, no, no one reconsiders it all in any way, shape, or form. No, they're all 100% bought in, military unit style. It's great. Well, here's the question I have, though, is... First off, so to mobilize that many, you know, rich people that quickly in, in that short a time, that waiting list must have been huge. And yep. they are international clients as well. Yes, <laughs> right. They all must have been sitting on an airplane at the airport waiting. Yeah, I mean, they do have their own helicopter, so I get it. It's fine. So, that is true. Uh, my second question for for this particular show. Now, I get that it's established fairly early in the in the film that the police are on strike. But it's also canonized in the film that not all the police are on strike, just some of them. So do we buy the fact that these guys were opening fire with machine guns in broad daylight, in the middle of the street, down the highways, in open streets in the evening? Like, at no point in time does a cop car... You you don't sniff a cop car from the entirety of this film. So so let's just go they, back. To, just go back. Let's go back to when the detective died. She didn't even call for backup. Right. So there isn't any backup. There isn't anybody working the street. It's not even that. It was, so the scene with um oh what was his name again um the on the second hunt where he gets injured, he's just killed a person hunting him. He's ditched a rifle because he's out of bullets, and then he's back in New Orleans. There's people on the streets. He's asking for help, and they're all being really callous, saying, oh, I ain't got any change, man. Like, yeah, get a, get a job, man. Yeah, it's like, this guy's bleeding, quite obviously panicked. Like, at the very least, phone the police. Obviously, no one would come, because we're all on strike. But then, like, he tries to go in a bar, the, the, the classic clothes sign getting flipped. <laughs> like, at no point does he... And then they turn up, and they're just screwing the silences on. At no point does he say, 
Help me. Those people over there America are trying to kill, kill me. I've been shot once. Please. Yeah. And then they're just like, once and uh, I'm going to, I love the name Pick too much. Pick Van Cleef is such a good character name. I, I, I love it. I can't go, Arnold, sorry. So, Emil and Pick. Like they're set. They're off to like Yugoslavia, wherever. I don't think it was Yugoslavia still in 1993, but whatever. Uh, they're off to Eastern Europe somewhere to to restart up the hunt. Random bloke on motorcycle probably isn't getting shipped to Eastern Europe. Probably not. But I'm still quite happy to just gun down this person in front of these 50 witnesses. Yep. Like, hmm. Okay. Well, I'm sure the, the cops aren't here now, but in a day or two, they could be off strike. And then the next thing you know, I've got 50 people saying, Yeah, that guy on the resort motorcycle wearing this shirt and look like this. Yep, yep. he's the one that did that. I, I do like the time jump to the next day as well, where the body's still in the middle of the street because it's yep. now daytime. Yep. So it was closed. Let, let's assume it's New Orleans and the bar only closes at 4 a.m. or something. That's still like five or six hours of this dark guy just being dead in the street while it's John Claude Van Damme's putting him in the body bag. He's not a cop, he's just some Randall. He's just some guy. Uh, yeah, and it's quite happy. No, no like crime scene protection or anything. It's great. Um, yeah. Oh, we missed the uh, the man catcher bit as well from when he's explore, trying to find a dog type. Oh, and those two bikers get it gets him with man catcher around the neck. I forgot about <laughs> oh, that. Oh dear. Oh yeah. When he when he go, so to explain this scene a bit, he goes to so how they found her father dead was I guess he was in a that bait shop at the end of the pier that had caught fire, and I guess oh he died. Got fire fruit due to a Beretta bullet. <laughs> one single nine millimeter exploded this bit. Every one of them. <laughs> So he went to go investigate the fire scene and found his other dog tag because yeah, dog only one never, dog tag. Only yeah. come in twos. They 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 never only ever come. I mean, in two. that is correct. You get when you get dog tags, they do do a purr yeah, in case one of them two. gets shot. Yeah, well, that, the, the, it, the dog that's tag probably is... the most accurate part of a movie. Yeah, I was dog... I was giving credit. Yeah, the dog tag uh, is your identifier if somebody gets killed. Right, no, I know that, but the like they made a key point in there to say, oh, these only ever come in twos, and you only ever found one, so this is how I knew that he'd been murdered. Because then he found. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, he didn't, you know, he didn't lose the second dog tag in Vietnam or anything, you know, right. so he had no. to have two. And it was the fact that they knew enough to separate the dog tags and not leave the one that had the arrow going through it, because the arrow had been removed because it wasn't still in his body. Like if you've all right, so the dog the arrow had been removed. They'd seen that the dog tag was stuck to it, so he took that one off. Oh, we can't leave both dog tags together, so I'm just gonna leave it in the dirt next to where his body was. Yep, I would these guys deserved the... everything. These guys deserved everything they got. They went Look, through man. all the forethought of trying to protect themselves, but just through incriminating evidence, literally right at the crime scene. Which John Claude Van Damme finds by picking up a stick that is like three inches long and just rifting, like pushing against some other dirt for a minute. Oh, there it is. Great. Well, and you and that scene gets you the classic line 
of you take you and your girl point her tits out of town and get out of oh, town. Oh god, yeah, I and I remember hearing that's that girl so like, who the hell talks like that. That was I've, a pure nineties Jean Claude Van Damme movie line. Uh, I can give you a better line. I can give you a better line in the movie than that. Is it oink for me? Or grunt? <laughs> when, when was that one? After he's it's always interrogating him when he's got him on the massage bed when he's taken over and okay. he's pushing his face into a massage chair whenever he's had off, uh, his earlobe cut off and everything yeah and yeah. then it, it's like now i want you to oink for me or something oh god <laughs> and then it's like louder <laughs> oh, yeah. oh man it's great these are actual scenes in this film just around the same page yeah um the the murder of the mortician as well, when he's in, he's in he his was, house. I think he was the M.E. Oh, yeah, the, the M.E. Um, is in his house. Uh, medical examiner, talking shop, yeah. apology. Yeah. Lance Hendrickson's gone in, into his house. He's like, how did you get in? Goes and checks, the front door's still locked. And he's sat there. He's, he gradually got his hand on... Lance Hendrickson's got his hand on the letter opener, which is just a giant dagger, which is on a pile of letters. And he's talking, he's gradually moving him towards the edge of a desk. And this which guy's me, like, which as soon as you see that, you're like, all right, that guy—he's going to stab me with that. Yeah, he's and like, like, the, the, the guy himself that. is acting <laughs> like the the portrayal the actor is giving is that this guy feels like Matt Henderson's going to dive over a desk and stab him. Yes, like, that's the feel you get from this scene. And then the doorbell rings, and Matt Henderson's like, "Oh, go and answer it." And then picture shoots him through the eye hole. You're like, why? <laughs> just stab it. Again, you've just Chekhov's gunned me the wrong way around again. And I'm still trying to figure out how he got the shot off because he wasn't aimed through the eye hole exactly. So the door would have caught that round. But either way. Yeah, just like, oh dear. Oh, one good thing again about the, uh, the gunfights in this. Did you notice the... Um, the car door didn't stop the bullets on the police officer's side. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right, but they did on Van Damme was fine. Yeah, Van Damme's... Because I, I watched it, I was like, oh, man, they got, they got car door physics correct. Because car doors <laughs> don't stop bullets. Well, and it was if a shotgun, too. Yeah. If you're, getting, if you're ever in a gunfight, folks, and you're being shot at, t- the wheel arch is the place you hide, or the engine block. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that stop the bullets. The wheels and the engine block will yeah. stop the bullets. No other not- part of a car will stop a bullet. You'll just die. Yes. But it, So she gets shot, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm, I'm going to talk about this. It's great. They did car door physics right. And then Van Damme's side, a million bullets. He's fine. Just slides over the other side. It's great. The most he gets is what? A little graze. He gets one little flesh wound graze. Like all of the exploding bullets, all the thousands of rounds of exploding bullets that get expelled in this film. I think he gets one little flesh wound. He's injured and he's cornered. Yes. The wounded animal is the worst. That's (laughs) Yancey also. She was in the lot of that line of fire and didn't take a wound at all either. Not a one. Um, I also feel like there was um, there must be a missing scene as well, because obviously when they're in the bayou and the, like, he's ridden off on the horse and Yancey and Uncle DeVoe are distracting them and then they ride off on their horses and Uncle DeVoe slaps her horse and tells her to go and phone for help and then suddenly they're both back together again 
Well, no, so she turned around. She was supposed to go one direction and she went the other direction. Oh, I just missed which direction he was supposed to go in. That's okay. Yeah. That's all. like, cause he legitimately, he says, if you go up here and go, I, I forget which it was in the film, if you go up here and go left, you know, that'll yeah. get you to where you got to go. And she literally goes right. And then he has to follow her. Like, so right. she in intentionally went the opposite direction. And then I'm actually going to go out of sarcasm mode now for the climax of a film. The cinematography for the final like engagement stuff is really good. Like the the old sure. um like the um the Mardi Gras floats in that lighting, it makes for a really nice like backdrop to all the action. It's really good. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Again, I still have major problems uh, with And the, the bird the John the, the John Woo bird scenes, you've got everything yeah, that's that's perfect, like nineties like martial arts action movie kind of setting it's really good yes. like, strong I, end to a movie this these things i agree with 100 percent. i still make the argument that every single round of ammunition that is fired in that scene causes a gigantic frag grenade size explosion everything that it hits regardless of the material that it's made out of i mean there's a lot of um exploding like bullets just popping all of the styrofoam and paper mache and all of that stuff like flying everywhere the only time the bullets are noticeably amusing for me is shooting the dirt in the bayou yeah. and explode like the literal uh pyrotechnics coming out of the ground when the bullets are hitting and i'm like dude really like yeah, just, just the the uh, sparking when hitting dirt yeah. Well, and so some of the stuff that I saw when we were like, so there's the scene whenever they're getting chases right before the motorcycle guy gets hit with the gas can kind of thing. There's a yeah. running through the street scenes when they're out of a vehicle. They must have had a very short amount of time to film this because I caught not one but two scenes where it's clear that the squibs in, on set are going off to look like gunfire is happening when gunfire isn't happening. Like there's no audio for it. So you can see it on screen like it's happening, but no one's running and acting like anything's supposed to happen. And then all oh, a half a second later, now a motorcycle comes up over the hill and now the more squibs go off. It's like someone hit the button a second early whenever John said, you know, all right, action. Boom. Oh, shit. Bill, what'd you do? You hit the wrong button. Oh, I caught oh, it more the, than once. The, the audio cue. Like the, so I actually genuinely enjoy the the music for this film i think it does a very good job of grinding it in the setting the sound effects are hilarious <laughs> like the the gunshot kicks like there are some like some of john claude's kicks pop like oh they, boy do they <laughs> there's some uh some really good bits in that um but it's really weird it does feel like it's got so many things that if you you can pinpoint so many like re like every scene that um Arnold Boss was in, he I think he steals. I think he could have been best supporting actor. Like I don't know if he uh, uh, like it just he has that menace in all of his scenes and he's it has the the, the correct level of hamming it up. You know what I mean? Sure, like, sure. And he he's he, he's he knows really what he's doing. Guy. Yeah, he's, he's a, a bad guy. guy. He's a bad guy in this with a smile, which makes yeah. him more menacing. 
Yeah, I, I I equate him to um, one of my favorite actors to hate. Like I, I, everything I've heard about him, he's the sweetest, nicest guy ever. Um, but Wes Studi, uh, Wes Studi is an African, or not African, a uh, Native American actor. Um, you probably may have seen him in Last of the Mohicans. He was in a few, him, he always plays the bad Native American guy that's trying to kill everyone else guy. Like, um, Last of the Mohicans was one of my favorite books as a child. So whenever that movie came out and Daniel Day-Lewis is, I was super excited to see it. And I have... Daniel Day-Lewis isn't an avatar. Not avatar. Oh, or Dances with Wolves. I knew it was wrong. I was just <laughs> casting the net to see if I could. Sort oh yeah, no, you caught all. You caught all of them. <laughs> Make sure all of the big ones that they're basically the exact same story. Yeah, no, you caught them all. Um, but West Judy always has that for me. Like I've seen him in other movies where he's you know in more comedic roles. Or he's more you know other roles where he's not quote unquote. But when West Judy is a bad guy, he's got that bad guy look on his face, and it, it's perfect. It's it's absolutely like horrifying and scary for me for him. Yeah. And I agree, same thing. He's got a way to be able to smile and just make it look like he's waiting to stab you in the throat. And like, um, I think there's a scene bit like the scenes with him and Lance Henriksen are really good in there as well. And it's like, oh, you're not mad at me, are you, pick? And uh, and oh, is it his, his catchphrase? And is it you wouldn't want to hurt my feelings? Like his his South African accent and uh, it's it's really it's really good in this film. I, I enjoy his scenes and like I Van Dam is just Van Dam in it and it's fine. He's very um, Van Dam. Yeah. I I think this is a good choice of movie to for I'm gonna give you reasons why I picked it now. Obviously, one, I was relatively familiar with it due to growing up watching it multiple times. You know, it was on VHS in the house or whatever. But it epitomizes that kind of early nineties. We're out of the eighties now. We don't have the shoulder pad suits and all of that kind of stuff anymore. We're trying to be more gritty and dark, and we're What's kind of that? Into you're that. in the you're in the Lethal Weapon era now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you've got you've got that. You've got some really good performances. You've got people who you'll know in this movie, and like. It's John Woo coming over to America. It, it's Van Damme progressing from being only in... Kickboxer. Guy. Well, yeah, like, Van Damme did a bunch of movies where he was just the random guy who has to... Like, obviously, you probably know the story of him. It was supposed to be a Predator in Predator. He was. And all of that kind of stuff. You know, he was just, I need person kicking. Oh, yeah, get this. This guy can do it. But I didn't really get speaking roles. He didn't really, this is him kind of yeah, progressing. And he, didn't, he didn't like the idea he had to wear a mask for the yeah. for, for the for the role. Yeah. Um I just I think it, it's a very solid watch that epitomizes the genre and the era. It, it's a oh, movie God, of its yeah. time. Oh god, yes. Well so and that was I did want to like before giving a final rating on the film, I did want to make sure that we kind of stress that. I'm laughing at it and finding it hysterical now at 2023 at my age of 45 going, good God, this is the most cheesiest, campiest thing. I'm sure, I don't know what the numbers were. For, I bet you this film did really well. I bet you they did really oh, well so on a, on a every small John Woo mo Every one of John Woo's movies that he did, no matter how bad you think they are, actually made bank because he, he never had big budgets either. Right. 
So, so I'm I sure mean, the movie was a success for the studio. It was a success, a success for the, the actors. I don't feel like anyone did the, and I just had this conversation at the game store the other day, uh, the Jeremy Irons Dungeons and Dragons movie, where it's clear that Jeremy Irons doesn't give a shit about being in this film and hams up every scene. Yeah, I don't think you had any of that. I mean, I just felt like it was... If you're like you like you said, if you're not prepared for that Hong Kong style of film, it it, it feels very campy. Uh, so it made seventy four point two million at the U.S. box office. Yeah, oh, sorry, worldwide seventy four million in ninety one. Yeah, um, that's like a hundred and fifty million dollars on a twenty million dollar budget, whatever it was. So Hard Target was the second highest grossing film release of the week at the American box office on its initial release. Hard Target also became the 49th highest highest growing film in the United States in nineteen ninety three. So Yeah. yeah. So like I mean it was a by every measure of that you can, it was a successful film. And that was an era of films when like like Sean had said, like, you had your Predators, you had your Lethal Weapons, you had those bang-bang, shoot-em-up 90s action films. I, it, it's a product of the times, and I'm sure at the, the audience that it was shooting for, I'm it was fantastic for what they were going for. Oh, so yeah. its budget was $18 million estimated? Oh, so I even overshot the budget. Yeah. Eight million yeah. of it was explosions, by the way. Just <laughs> five was Jean Claude's uh, salary, yeah. and then everything so else. I'm, yeah, eighteen million budget made thirty-two point six million in the US alone. So it was it, unequivocally, unequivocally a box office success. Yes, yep. it's a six point two out of ten on IMDb. Yeah, I'm gonna go out on a limb for this and say that that is trending low because of the western audience i think if this was um if this was a hong kong movie like if this had been like released to that market and that was the people rating it i think this is a, a 7.5 and 8 i i think that i'm again i'm not saying it's great and we are a western audience but i do think that there's a lot that doesn't translate as well i the, the amount of slow motion is noticeable the yes. random shots of uh, the number of yeah. birds and things like that, and uh, there, is, there is a lot that it steals from Hong Kong cinema. Like the the yeah, the the motorbike scenes, um, where it's like ride standing on the motorbike for no real reason because it's not like he avoids crashing by jumping off the bike to the side. He stands on the bike so he can jump onto a car that's driving towards him anyway. <laughs> Like, if you're going to stand on the bike, jump to the side, man, they'll, 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 you'll, you won't get run over. It's fine. And, yeah. and because of the leaking fuel of the motorcycle, blew the truck up. Yep, the whole truck. I, the, the delay for that as well, because like, he yeah. shoots the back window out, and you're like, oh, it didn't blow up. And then it blows up. See, right. expectations subvert. Oh, there it goes. Yep, there it goes. Yeah. So, Sean and I started this off before, whenever you uh, pregame and you were going to go grab a drink. Did we think this film was better or worse than The Arrival? And my response to that is, was I felt that from a film's perspective, just watching the two films, I think that it was worse, oh. but, but I probably had more fun watching this film. Because, so, so The Arrival was 
it, it was a B movie. It, I, the the script was okay. There was a lot of gaps. It wasn't exactly acted well, but like I felt cohesiveness throughout the story. I mean, it was just it, it was a B movie for me. This is one of those movies that I felt was so bad that it was good that I genuinely enjoyed watching so I, it, I, I'm but not, that, uh, not for the reasons I was supposed to. I, I'm going to ask you a question. Is it bad or is it hammy? It's very hammy. I agree. Because I think that that's the intent. Yeah, and that's where I'm struggling with it. I get that that's the intent. So it it, it definitely comes off that way. It definitely casts that vibe. I, I definitely felt, though, like I was having well, more fun with it laughing at it. And I don't know the, that that's the, the right that Every vibe. time once Henriksen fires that gun, you feel like he's ejaculated. <laughs> this is true. This, like, this, 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 there's, there's a lot of truth. There's a lot of acting going on when that gun is fired. Uh, I'm still trying to imagine the, the like, I, I'm going to bring an elephant gun one shot when all these machine guns are on me. One shot, no sights. That's a badass warrior right there. Yeah. So, yeah, like I said, uh, I, 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 do, I do see your point and I understand what you are saying. I guess I felt that I was enjoying it because I was laughing at it, not laughing with it. Does that make sense? Uh, I mean, I get, I understand it. I don't know what I agree. But I understand your point. Okay. Because I I think that if you said to John Wu that you enjoyed his movie and laughed all the way through it, you, you had fun watching it and laughed all the way through it, I think he'd feel mission accomplished. Then maybe my interpretation is incorrect. I can I can accept that. Because that, that is exactly what it was. It was I, I laughed my way through it. I definitely had more fun watching this than I did watching The Arrival, but I felt like it was... like I guess I would have tried to take it seriously and couldn't after the first 30 minutes of the film and just like reveled in the humor of it. Yeah. I... I mean, this isn't... This isn't even like my favorite Van Damme movie. Like, you know what I mean? It isn't... It doesn't top any of my lists. I think uh, it was perfect for it, the, what we wanted to do. And what oh, God, yes. Th this was a great film to cover. I, I, I enjoyed it 100%. I do not believe you will be disappointed if you watch this. I agree. I, if, yeah. you, if you go in with that thought process of, I'm going to, it, it's intended to be a fun, enjoyable you you're well, laughing you, you at... can go into it with whatever mindset you want the film will drastically alter your expectations <laughs> in the <laughs> first 10 minutes <laughs> and you won't will like like if you make it through that first 10 minutes and sit down for the one hour 37 minute ride you you won't have a bad time yeah like, I, you'll know I, I agree immediately with if you're gonna if you should turn it off i can agree with that statement yeah. if that was the intent then it absolutely accomplished its task. I have I have certain criteria with movies that are kind of like the the arrival that B style movie that tries to be serious that tries to have a <clears throat> a cohesive story even though it's not but tries to have that cohesive storyline. I have a different kind of rating system for a movie like that <laughs> than this. I am not a Jean Claude Van Damme fan just to put that out front. Oh. Um, but I will say this, because I'm not a fighter. Like, I'm not a, 
<clears throat> my arcade, I don't like fighting games in arcades. You know, I don't, I was never that type of a person. But for this, one of the criteria <laughs> in a movie like this is if it jumps the shark and it continues to jump the shark. So it doesn't try to pull it back into a form of reality. Oh no, it never did that. <laughs> so that's where my rating on this was seven pickup truck drivers shot in the neck. <laughs> Uh, is my rating for this out of 10. But, that's saying a lot because I really don't like Jean-Claude Van Damme. That's good. I mean, I I will say that I, other than Lance Hendrickson's character, I feel like flip-flops a little bit. I feel like it's very internally consistent. I think like it, it sets out its premise very early and that's what you get all the way through. Right, and um, once you figure out it's the dangerous game, you know, rewritten, you know, I really love the dangerous game. I had to read that in high school. I really loved it. <clears throat> this is okay. for a, you know, first-time directorial debut, you know, of a <laughs> director from Hong Kong. I thought it was pretty good, pretty consistent across the board, too. Yeah. Yep, I, I agree. I... I would give it like a solid seven and a half out of ten, like four out of five kind of level for what it is. If I that's rating it as what it is. If I was trying to rate it as a as a film, again, I think I went into this last time, but I have films like Shinwood's List is a film, Pacific Rim is a movie. Yes, this falls firmly in the Pacific Rim category of movies. Yes, and. Like, yeah, it's not. I was surprised when I saw that it had won awards <laughs> and had nominations for awards. I'm not going to lie. I don't know if the Saturn Awards are a big thing. I don't know if they are only allowed to choose from films that are at one hour, 37 minutes long. You know, what the criteria are for you to be able to be nominated for that. But. Yeah, I was surprised it had any nominations for anything at all. But yeah, I do not think you'll be disappointed if you give this a watch. I give it a, a, a four out of five. So if I were to judge it on a film, it's, I like I said, I think I kind of already gave my rating. I would definitely put it below the arrival on the film perspective. Um, I think that's fair. Yeah, probably. About, probably I think a, the arrival tries to be a film. It tries. And fails. It tries and fails. <laughs> so I don't know. I think I forget what I gave the arrival, but I think I, a, a three point five four out of ten on the film. But for in for what it was meant to be, yeah, I I, I think a seven's a solid a solid number for it. I mean, it does accomplish what it set out to do. Well, and the key is is that I didn't feel. Like I wasted an hour and 37 minutes of my life watching it where like Chris was saying that he felt like he wasted, you know, <laughs> I was, I'm not, I'm never, ever getting that time back from your rival. Right. Like, don't get me wrong. This isn't a good film. If you've got like, so I'm going to pitch a scene for both of you. You know, family's away. You've got a house to yourself, Sean, your son's going away. You've got, You've been left just enough money for takeaway. You've got a cold beer in the fridge. This comes on the TV. You probably don't turn it off. No, no you sit, not. you watch it, and you don't regret a moment of feet up on the couch, having that beer, 
having a slice of pizza or the chicken wings, whatever, you know, like well, whatever. I, I did tell you, I, I rented it twice. So yeah. he did pay yeah. for it twice. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm gonna have to buy it. I think I'm gonna see if I can get it on Blu-ray. Oh, geez. I want to I want to find the just to see what I missed because I was doing some research a few weeks ago because we obviously we were supposed to record this a couple of weeks ago, and uh, there is apparently a longer cut that has a lot more um like. I'm not going to say it changes the story and makes it into a masterpiece, yeah. but it's by all accounts, assemb- it... assembly cut of Alien Three. It's it is yeah. not. Yeah. Okay, so that kind of wraps us up. I think we're I doing think so. relatively well. We are. But, um, so, and definitely not a little bit of edi- editing magic. So, Ed, your pick next. What are you going to pick? I am going to go with. The Relic, a Tom Sizemore 1997 film. Yeah, directed by Peter Hames, as Sean mentioned when we were discussing it off air. Mm-hmm. Since yeah. I don't think I have my Stone Cold, since it's not on Prime any th- at the moment, I will go with that. Yeah, so I feel like I watched this, but I also don't like horror movies because I'm a coward. <laughs> so this should be a fun one for me. To, Jill will enjoy me having to watch this. Oh, good, good. Yeah. I'm sorry to make you uncomfortable and then kind of happy oh, okay. at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I'm going to enjoy your discomfort. No, you're not. <laughs> don't lie. But yeah, that is, uh, that's the show. I hope you like this uh, lack of focus in focus movie review. Well, we all wholeheartedly recommend Hard Target as the best movie you could possibly watch if you're left alone and hard target comes on a tv <laughs> absolutely if it's a question of that or like staring at the ceiling i'd go with this i mean and if, and if, if your you... batteries and if your batteries are dead in your remote and you don't want to get up and get new ones but yep. it's like if it's a choice between watching hard target again or browsing netflix for the program you want to watch for an hour and 37 minutes Oh, that's you, true. You're going to watch Hard Target, aren't you? Every time. It's easy. I, 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 you may have me there. So <laughs> thanks a lot, everyone. If you want to jump on the website, you can see us all uh, join the Discord, all of the good stuff. And we'll be back in two weeks with our normal lack of focus show. And um, it's back to you, Ed, isn't it, for the next one? Uh, it is. I it have is. the next. I do. And I already know my topic. I've actually got a couple of topics in mind for the next couple of shows that I've got but I definitely know the one I'm going for this one. There we go. So we'll see you all in two weeks. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to a Lack of Focus podcast brought to you by Dice Productions.